Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, thanks. I'm rushed. I, I, I burnt my hand. I watched this movie on my phone while going for a walk. Um, <laughs> uh, Jesus, that's multitasking. I know, as it was intended to be. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to do like. like you burn your hand. I was trying to do the dishes while like taking something out of the oven. So I had like wet hands in a hot oven. It was it was bad news. Um, that sounds then, like an album title. Uh, yeah, wet, wet hands, hot oven. <laughs> It does. It sounds very much like, like an eighties, a seventies or eighties album, album. Grossly in a, yeah, and a grossly inappropriate cover as well. Um, and the, the two guests you can hear me two... on the water. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> more, more than darkness in the depths, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's okay because we've got some wonderful depths this evening. We've got two fantastic guests joining us. You've heard them already. We've got Mr. Jason Coyle. How are you, Jason? Fantastic. I love the enthusiasm. And to match that enthusiasm, we have Ronan Doyle. How are you, Ronan? I'm very good. Thank you. Hello. Uh, now, Hello. this is a very special podcast, a very interesting episode. When we've been on the podcast before, we talked a little bit about how the 250 is comprised of a various collection of movies, 250 of them, if you will, but many of which conform to what? the movies that you would expect to see on there. There's a lot of movies like, say, The Godfather Part 1, The Godfather Part 2, The Dark Knight. And then there's some, you know, we talked a little bit about how the list has got a few pleasant surprises on there. For example, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is still in there. Caper Now, uh, which we actually discussed with Jay and Ronan, has climbed. It's now in the top 100. So that's fantastic news as well. Fantastic. I'd like to think that's because of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a bump. There is a bump. I'm, is. I'm going to dispute the the statement that there's, that there's only 250 movies. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it feels like there's a lot more. There are a lot more. Yeah. The way yeah, have you been yeah. going for years if this is so? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a state of mind. This will be like at least ten year the project. This will be our fourth year. Yep. Yep. It will. Good Jesus. It will indeed. It's kind of vaguely terrifying. But there are movies on the list that inspire curiosity and confusion from me when I go through them. There are certain movies on the list that jump out, and I wonder what the hell are they doing on the list. And one of those movies is the movie that we are discussing today. It is Lassie Hellstrom's 2009 K9. His name is Lassie. It is. There's Oh, trust me, there's more to unpack. He, came he was home. born for this job. <laughs> he was. Well, I mean, Ronan's not even joking. Lassie Hellstrom's previous films include his breakout hit from 1985, My Life as a Dog, for which he earned an Oscar nomination as Best Director and Best Screenwriter. And he went on after this to discuss... Uh, sorry, to direct A Dog's Purpose, which Ronan will remember as the prequel to A Dog's Journey, the Dennis Quaid classic. But I'm sure we're going to unpack all of that later as well. <laughs> so yes, Lassie Hailstrom, very much king of this particular genre. Mm -hmm. Also worth noting, Lassie Hailstrom has three Oscar nominations, including one for what Andrew described Stop. as the folksy abortion movie Cider House Rules. He has been featured on the 250, on the 250 itself no fewer than four times since its inception for my life as a dog for the cider house rules for what he did what's eating gilbert grape and for his most enduring film the film that we're talking about today which is hatchy a dog's tail and this is was the cider house rules really on there yeah the cider house rules was on there very very briefly in the late 90s again it, wow. it got an oscar nomination and therefore tends sure. to get in you know it does has that like prestige bump as a mm. result of it 
Yeah, Hatchet Dogtail is kind of interesting because I've been, it's one of the movies that I can't really place. I could never really understand why it was on here because I did not even know that it existed until I browsed through the list, saw the movie called Hatchie and looked at the picture of an adorable Richard Gere holding an equally adorable little puppy. And I kind of mentioned this to people when we talked about the podcast going there. And I think Ronan was the only person I had met who had actually <laughs> seen this movie before. Of course. <laughs> would you care to I not not that, you, not that you have to explain or justify yourself Ronan but would you like to explain or justify yourself when did you first see it I don't think anybody really has to explain or justify sitting down to watch a film that is 90% Richard Gere wearing sweater vests hugging a dog on thick carpets it's you know it's everything that i've always been interested in in life it is great um to be honest i can't remember i i think i caught it on on film four at one point just in one of those sort of uh long days where i had nothing better to do than watch film four because it was uh, that's one memory i have it was a point where that was one of the main ways i was discovering films i didn't have a particularly big dvd collection at the time or it, it was possibly even you know before netflix had got particularly big and online streaming and everything like that so you were you were picking up these things on tv yeah, and you just sort of stumbled across it randomly, and you were like, yep, this is my evening sorted. I'm a big fan of Richard Gere, genuinely. I've always been a big fan of Richard Gere. He is great. He's fantastic. And he he, he has real range. The last thing I saw him in was some, was some movie where he was, like, opposite Andy Garcia, and he was... In for Internal Affairs. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a terrific film. It's, it's, it, yeah, it, and it, it's... It's really kind of like harrowing, and he's a complete and utter like uh, dirtbag. Like he's the worst person <laughs> in the world. He in is. It. He's, he's great. And he's so he's good. He's so intense. And in this, like he he has to <laughs> compete with this dog, and it does like a, a pretty good job. He's like, as cute. You kind of want to look at him sometimes, mm -hmm. you know. I want to ruffle his hair. I'm like, take the camera off the adorable. No, yeah, I, I, um... actually, what am I saying? <laughs> You know, I don't. I didn't just kind of want to look saying? at him. Um, <laughs> it, it, like he, he's 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 so watchable. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just in, in, incredible. Yeah, it's actually interesting that you should mention Andy Garcia there because again. I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been trying to put this movie in context, trying to understand where this movie came from. And Andy Garcia is a huge and important part of that. Obviously, talking animal movies and especially talking dog movies have a rich cinematic heritage. They're part of like the cinematic tradition going back to silent movies where dogs would have cute reaction shots. You'd have kind of like the spoof in the artist of Uggie and this sort of like idea of kind of dogs being amusing. And then in the 30s, you started seeing movies focusing on dogs. In the 90s, even movies we grew up with, you had movies like, say, Homeward Bound, for example. Um, you had movies like the Beethoven series and things like that. But the uh, the talking dog movie was not really in a good state around about the early 2000s. Hit a bit of a hit a bit of a snag with uh and I feel kind of sad. I mentioned this earlier. I think that we probably should have recorded a prequel episode on this to gear us up for this. But 2008, the year before the release of Hatchie a Dog's Tale, saw the release of Beverly Hills Chihuahua, which is currently ranked number 98 on the worst 100 movies ever. Creatively bankrupt, but financially very lucrative, spawning a number of direct-to-video sequels, but terrible, terrible reviews, and became a pop culture punchline. What's kind of interesting is that Hatchie, on the other hand, has kind of, in some ways... It's a movie that I feel like, even though I'd never seen it before this podcast, had seen several times, particularly in recent years. And again, Ronan, I think, is, is more familiar with this genre than I am. I think Ronan coined the term the new good boy canon to describe <laughs> this kind of preference that we have, this kind of like emerging... I love that. Yeah. The emerging genre that we have of movies about particularly adult men 
who who foster kind of long lifelong relationships with adorable dogs that are hopelessly devoted and cross all manner of boundaries physical metaphysical existential in order to be reunited with them in the in the last couple of years it's not just a lifelong bond they share it's many lives long we've got into dog reincarnation (laughs) in some of the latest entries in the genre Yeah, um, and again, films like, say, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which stars Kevin Costner as an adorable folksy dog that nobody can understand, but imparts important life wisdom. A Dog's Journey and a Dog's Purpose, starring Josh Gad as a slightly sassy dog who is reincarnated across several lifetimes in order to reunite with Dennis, there's a lot you don't know about that dog, Quaid, uh, on his journey. And basically this whole kind of genre of kind of emerging films that have kind of captured a lot of attention, raised a lot of money, and Hatchie is very much, I think, looking at the genealogy of the genre, it is like the Akita, Mm -hmm. Akita dog of the genre. It's the one that you can trace back and go, these movies all came from this one example. It's kind of an interesting film in in many regards because, and again, nice segue to talking about Caper Now, which is a movie I did not expect to be referencing as much as I am in this particular discussion. Uh, The thing about Hatchie is that Hatchie was very successful internationally. It earned $46 million worldwide, toured across the planet, uh, opened in the UK in March, 2020, uh, March 2010. However, Sony Pictures, at time of release, did not think that it would perform well at the US box office. It premiered on the Hallmark Channel. This is possibly the only Hallmark, like movie, Hallmark to, movie. Doesn't it? On paper, for sure, it sounds like the kind of thing that, yeah, this I'm going to find this on Hallmark at 2 p.m. off a Wednesday. Yeah, I guess, like, why not? You know, there, there's a kind of an idea of, like, a hierarchy with movies. Um, and it's like, oh, if it's a really good movie, then it's going to get here. And if it's not a very good mm-hmm. movie, then it's here. Some movies are suited to certain places. Like, this should be on... Yeah. Um, yeah. It kind of needs to be a Christmas movie, um, a little <laughs> yes. bit. And, and well, there is snow. Yeah, yeah. There, 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 well, do we want to do we want to spoil? <laughs> do we want to spoil <laughs> the movie? We like. I feel like snow is not the first can, place we would go. The, like when it gets no. to the spoiler zone, we'll probably be able to spoil <laughs> everything in like maybe like Including the rain. two or three seconds, <laughs> like yeah. with a very swift uh, plot synopsis. <laughs> That, by the way, I saw in the trailer. It was all there. Oh, did they, did, the trailer is one of those great movies in two and a half minutes cuts, is it? But you Where know it's like what? Everything... It was fine. <laughs> like, I kind of said, this is what the movie is. Do you want to watch it? I mean, that's the job. <laughs> and I said, I have to. I don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so vaguely threatening. Yeah, no surprises whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, what's interesting, though, about Hatchie a Dog's Tale, and this is kind of where I mentioned kind of Caper now as a point of comparison. Hatchie a Dog's Tale, you know, while it didn't get a theatrical release in the States, it was massive in China. It was absolutely huge in China. In fact, China is the reason why, one of the reasons why we're seeing so many, so much of the new good boy canon emerging. Because movies are performing well enough over there to justify getting sequels, even though they're not lighting up the US box office. And do you want to know something that's actually really stunning and really impressed about Hatchie? Because I know I said that, you know, as a little surprise that Hatchie is the 211th best movie of all time on IMDb. Do you know where it's ranked on the Chinese equivalent of IMDb? Uh, yes, which is the ban. Yes, I do. Um, where is it's it ranked? number 52. I will say 75th. 75th? Uh, anyone, any advances on 75? Over or under? Oh! I said 52. Okay. 
Okay, Ronin is closest. It's currently the 10th best movie of all time, according to Chinese moviegoers. That's directly below Inception at number 9 and directly above The Legend of 1900 at 11. And in fact, actually, if you look at the IMDb and look at its voting stats, um, the votes for this movie are overwhelmingly international. Hmm. 16,000 votes from America to 113,000 votes internationally. And to give a sense of how that normally goes, uh, last week we talked about Geely uh, with Thornton Jan Gannon and Louise Bruton. That had 14,000 American votes to 18,000 international votes. The week before, we talked about uh, Sunset Boulevard with Charlene Lydon and Rena McGregor. That had 45,000 American votes to 80,000 international votes. So yes, it's very much a movie that has a huge international kind of following. Hang on. Is this, can we say then that it is possible to marshal a population to get Taffin <laughs> into the 2250? Because yeah. we've been talking about this for years now. Yeah. Yes, it is. If, it's if, time. It's finally time to if get we were organized. campaign. The Chinese <laughs> that, get the Chinese behind it. Yeah, they need to like have a a piece of propaganda to demonstrate like how how bad everything is over here. You know how young how, peers should do that. How corrupt Irish uh, villages are. Um, <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't live here. It is worth saying in that context, I think, as well that the uh, the original story the film is based on is. Uh, apparently true story from japan in the 20s and it was uh i don't know how successful it was but it was a japanese film in the 90s i think that this is a remake in 1987 yeah it was i was was at i was at that train station um like well it's like a very well-known train station and they have the they have a um like a statue it's the shibuya train station i believe shibuya apologies um um yeah so um it's kind of fun but i I didn't. I didn't look at that statue and think I will. I will one day do a <laughs> podcast about this, <laughs> a movie about the dog memorized here. Again, yes, it is worth noting. It What's is the ho- podcast I <laughs> at the time. Uh, but yes, just very quickly in terms of the story, uh, it's uh, Hachiku which is Hachi, which is the number eight, and Ku, which is an affectionate um, sort of uh, term afterwards as well. It was adopted by Professor Inu, was his name. He was a university professor. He died of, a, um, of a, an embolism um, while he was at university one day and never came home. Now, the dog would apparently return to the station at five o'clock every evening in order to be reunited with his master. He would visit for nine years, nine months, and 15 days, um, appearing only when the train was due to arrive. Apparently, he was subject to much speculation from the commuters. Apparently, initially, there was some skepticism. People believed that the adorable dog was showing up just to get treats and just to get fed by kind of the people at the train station. I would do that. But apparently... Yep, totally. But uh, over time, it was apparently they noticed that he only showed up exactly on time. And there was a feature run in news by a local newspaper, which is Ashai Shinbun, uh, on October 4th, 1932, which I turned him into a Asahi, isn't it? Oh, it is Asahi, sorry. Like, like like the beer. They, they, they started out with newspapers, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, so the dog kind of was immortalized there. Turned into a statue in 1934 after his death. The statue was actually melted down uh, during the Second World War um, and fashioned into armaments. It was then rebuilt after the Second World War um, and where it still stands today, and as Andrews pointed out, is used as a popular meeting point as well for people. Um, the dog is an incredible celebrity in Japan. In 1994, Japanese radio stations ran a month-long promotion promoting a reconstructed sound of Hachi's bark. 
and they played it on the radio. Yep, there was months of build-up, lots of advertisement. Hatchy, Hatchy, Hatchy uh, is coming. Sort of. Why don't stuff. we do that? <laughs> Reconstruct the sound of Hatchy's bark. Exactly. Yeah, we like have the listeners like just kind of you know come coming out to the zoo. We can finally get sponsors. Sponsors, Darren. <laughs> we could be minted. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that 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 is the story of Hachi there, the actual story that inspired uh, the film. Um, just very quickly before we move on from China and its love of pet movies, because this is fascinating. China, one of China's biggest box office movies last year, opening on December 31st, 2019, was the movie called Adoring. And Adoring imported, actually brought over to China a number of Hollywood pet stars in order to star in this anthology called Adoring. Included several well-known Hollywood animals, including Luther, which is the dog from Pup Star, Quee, the dog from Show Dogs, Benny, the dog from Dog Days. However, the most famous and A-list celebrity appearing in the Chinese film Adoring was Gonzo, the orange-coloured cat star from the Disney Marvel Studios superhero blockbuster Captain Marvel. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. absolutely baffling. There we go. Uh, this is a re- really, it's a really terrifying um, uh, yes. cat, isn't it? I hear he does all his own stunts. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the um, no, yeah. It's the one. It's the one that everyone is afraid of. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so yes. So before we move on, then um, Hachi, I assume. J- oh, we're finished. <laughs> That was fun. It never truly Jake. ends. Uh, okay, well, I suppose I'm I'm not I'm not on I'm not on Twitter anymore, um, but but do give the uh, podcast. Uh, with you. Um, but yes, I'm assuming um, Jay and Andrew, you had not seen this amateurs. before. You're like myself. This was your first watch. Amateurs. I had not seen it. No, oh. uh, and I had no real desire to, quite frankly. So. <laughs> um. And and yourself, Andrew. I'm assuming, despite having seen the statue, you had never. No, seen no, I hadn't. I I, I kind of um, like I've known that I'm about to see it for the last four years, so it didn't really seem like any um, appropriate time. No, I hadn't. I hadn't seen this movie. Um, and maybe not the demographic, but anyway, we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. I guess. All right then. So I think we're going to reaching the end of the pre-spoiler section. So three questions to get us started. So Jay, yes, do you think that Hatchie, a dog's tale, belongs on a list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made? It certainly does not. <laughs> Blunt and to the point. I think so. All right, uh, Ronan. What about yourself? Absolutely not in any way whatsoever. No. Okay. Okay. Um, Andrew. No. No. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I should say like, well, what are these lists anyway? And, yeah, yeah, the, uh, you know, the pro forma stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what is the ra- arbitrary ranking? By the way, by the way, I, I'm yeah. I'm eating for what our numbers? listeners. I am eating, and it is delicious. Um, <laughs> and, uh, With your burnt hand. Yeah. No, do do do. Um, well, I, I I guess the listeners can't see it, but I can, I can, um, I can, sh- I can, I I can share it with you guys. This is great. This is, it's a chicken. It's it's fried chicken, isn't it? I don't think you'll see it. Well, I, oh, that looks I can good. See it. I can't see it at all. Um, Corn. Yeah. Okay, I can't see it at all. Have you placed it on a chessboard? Oh, yep. 
I have placed it on a chessboard to try and keep the, you know, the laptop and the microphone and the chicken <laughs> all perfectly as, balanced um, in place. Excellent There's work. a dog as well. That's oh. what we call a balanced diet. All right, then. And then I would also agree with that. It certainly does not belong on a list of the uh, 250 greatest movies, although it is interesting to see there. It's nice to have a kind of a Hallmark movie and a movie that appeals to a um, perhaps not the conventional. Do dogs vote for IMDb? IMDb. <laughs> Do we think dogs would vote for this movie? They might. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's pro-dog. It is pro-dog. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> From the dog's perspective. Yes. Um, quite literally at some points, actually. Dog cam. Oh, we get um, to is that. it, though? Is it, is, is it pro-dog? Does it kind of reduce them to... Um... <laughs> you, you mean, does it reduce the idea of a dog in terms of a master? Where there's no life or hatchie outside of his relationship with Richard Gere in a sweater vest. Although, to be honest, exactly. who could aspire for more than a relationship with Richard Gere in a sweater vest? There was a short moment with a... Oh, no, we're not in the spoiler zone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh-huh. And Jane There was and... another dog. <laughs> there was. Lucky. But we'll talk about that in the spoiler zone. Jay, quick one for you then. Go on. Do you, would this be on your own personal 250? And I know you may need a moment to process it. I know you may need to kind of take a second and properly Hang contextualize it. Are, are you it. saying after we say no to the actual 250, are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, did it okay, melt we'll your go, cold we'll heart? Go safe Darren does this every week. I understand the question has to be asked. But no. No. It does. Darren gets hives if he doesn't ask these questions. I know, I know. That's fair. Oh. That's fair. Okay, and Ronan, what about yourself? I think there is actually a distinct chance it would make my top 2,500. Oh, that's actually pretty decent, <laughs> that's, to be fair. That's all right. It's better, than, <laughs> it's better than most of the movies we've covered here, I think. It puts it well up on some of the movies we've talked about here. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal 250? And is there an option where it can be on my 2,500? <laughs> I've that, opened those floodgates that, now. That, that, is, that na- is that now a thing? Um, well, kind of there are so, now you know. four questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I uh, like it wouldn't be. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. Like absolutely not. <laughs> I, yeah, no. I, um, In case there's no, any like ambiguity, I, <laughs> I've seen it and I can remember what happened. So um, <laughs> beautifully put. <laughs> was it, didn't you watch it three hours ago or something? Yeah, I watched. No, I watched it about an hour ago. <laughs> I'd be very worried um, if you didn't I've, remember. I've, <laughs> it is I've such a complicated plot, Ronan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very hard to follow at times. You didn't need to go back and rewind and rewatch just to make sure you had everything right. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I, w- I was. Um, it was an interesting experience. I feel like I should be giving a review of what it's like to watch a movie while you're going for a walk. Um, <laughs> I kind of hated it. It's it's not good. Don't, but even while you're watching do a dog it. movie while going for a walk, thumbs down. Well, yeah, that 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 did actually make sense because at one point there, like you're walking I think at your dog several movie. points, there were dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was I was walking through parks and stuff, and there were dogs, and I was watching a dog movie. Were they all following um, you in a kind of first style after you're a half? Plus, Hachi, Hachi walks a lot, so yeah. um, he's uh, a very good boy. That, that, mm-hmm. He is a good boy. And yeah. then I, I would agree with that. It certainly would not make my own personal 250. And then the final question, after eight straight no's, it seems, would you recommend people pause the podcast and watch this movie? Is this worth watching, Jay? Uh... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, what, what, uh... what would somebody be looking for that you would recommend? Like, if this is not like a, a hard It'd yes. It'd be a very good movie to have a nap to. 
people can't see Ronan's face. Like it's 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 gentle and soft and warm and it's yeah. a cozy film. If you like yes, Sunday afternoon fair. lying under a blanket, maybe getting trying to shake off a hangover, I could absolutely see putting this on. <laughs> mm-hmm. As Richard yeah. Gere doing going full Stanley Tucci. I mean, yeah, I could see I could see that kind of, uh, <laughs> recommendation. Yeah, sure, why not? For a very specific oh my God, sense, imagine Stanley Tucci in this movie. I know, right? <laughs> I do love, by the way, Jay's implication that you could fall asleep for extended portions of the movie, wake up, and be not at all confused by what was happening. Well, you wouldn't at all. be, except the dog Accurate. Was a shade older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and Rona, what about yourself? Would you give it a recommendation? Yeah, I gotta say, you know, I, I, we'll get we'll get into the full details of what I think of it in a while, but yeah, go watch it. If, especially if you're a dog person, which is another of the reasons that I would have watched it originally. It's it's a it's a dog movie through and through. It is a very dog movie. It's a very good um, dog boy movie. <laughs> yeah. And and Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I I I agree what which what everyone has said. Um, it's good and short mm. too. Yeah, ninety something nice. minutes helps. You know. Sense. Yeah, it's it's a nice movie. It's kind of like. It's kind of scored appropriately for the kind of movie it is. It, um, you know, it, it, it's, it has a, it has a dog in it. Makes you think of your own dog. Yeah. Makes you um, think of your own Richard Gear. The highest stakes involve a skunk. You know, that's that's the that's the level we're operating at here. <laughs> Richard Gear is also a very good boy. In this, he is. In he's the best boy. He is. he is. He's great. He's so he's so good and so charming and like you you yeah. You want him to be your master. Some sort of lecturer in ballet, apparently. <laughs> that was very hard yeah. to ascertain exactly what he did. That was very hard to follow, yeah. But also yeah, life, right? it seems, as not well. Get um, yes, yeah. Oh, God, I want to get to the scene. Get to the spoiler zone so I can talk about a particular scene, because I, I have many opinions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then, uh, yes, in terms of recommendations... I would echo what everybody else here has said. If you are a dog person, if you want a really gentle movie, I was kind of surprised the extent to which I enjoyed this. This is perhaps the original good boy canon movie, but it's probably the best of the ones that I've seen. Um, in that I'm in a nursing home 40 years from now. I would absolutely <laughs> welcome this coming on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> They'd make everybody watch it. <laughs> Little tear in the glimmer of your eye. Um, all right, then. All right, so before we ask the question that we normally ask here, it's worth noting that when Hallmark sent this movie out to critics for previewing with screeners, there was apparently a faux handwritten note on top that included the line, and it was apparently meant as a sweet sentiment, but sounded more like a threat. You will cry. So I have a question. Watching Hatchie's A Dog Tale, did you cry, Jay? I did not, and I was kind of surprised, in the, and I oh, think ooh. because I was fully expecting to, and there were certain scenes in the film that seemed to be built up towards a kind of crescendos of crying parts were going to come up, and uh, it didn't really land for me in that regard, and I was kind of disgusted because I was really looking forward to it, a little bit of a crying <laughs> to it. but uh, no, it, did, it didn't get me that way. Oh, okay, and then to complete this round, then the fourth question, so Ronan, what about yourself? Did you cry? Did you cry the first time, and did you cry one rewatch? knowing it was coming just to clarify we're in spoiler zone right we are indeed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is this is an important factor of, of, of the cry um so the first time um i as i said earlier i can't remember exactly around when it was that i first saw it 
but it almost certainly would have been around the time where I had had a beloved childhood dog die. So wept my eyes out at this film because it's, I, I think it, it yearns very, very obviously for a cry too much for my taste. Usually, you know, it's, it's, it's desperate to get you to cry. It, it, it's practically sending you a letter, as you say, saying you will cry. <laughs> Um, but at that point, any like a picture of a dog, a static picture of a dog, would have reduced me to tears. And this film absolutely did. This time, I, I, I mean, I still did, to be honest. <laughs> but I, that is a very, very low bar for me with dog movies. Just the, just the image of a dog frolicking in a field. Throw in the cover will get you. There you go. Throw in Richard Gere being cute as well. Of, of course, I did, but not without a little bit of. Ugh, you're, you're, you're twisting me. Very Stop. obvious here. I cried and I resented it. <laughs> I hated the movie for making me cry. Um, I hate, hate tears. Can I ask where in the movie you cried? Though? It was what uh, just uh, uh, towards the very end as the, the dog is going through his whole life thing. Not at the very, very end where you have that sort of cloying montage of them okay. reunited in the great hereafter. It's more the dog... Which is again it a really standard is. dog, yeah, a standard yeah. good boy canon trope now with Richard Gere being, re- sorry, not Richard Gere, Dennis Quaid mm-hmm. being reunited with his dog on the yeah. fields of Elysium, which is a scene you have to see to, to, to imagine. It's, it's unimaginable. It's <laughs> I'm amazing. glad you didn't say you have to see it to believe it because I've seen it and I still don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> I dream it sometimes. It's in my head. I can't. I can't get rid of it. I, I. It's just there. He's so happy, and they're together. And it's like the movie is like, yes, this is what heaven is like. If you ever owned a dog, non-dog people, I don't know. We don't like them. We don't know, and we don't care. Anymore, frankly, um, I really need to see that film again. I'm guessing, like, the saddest part of the movie was when Joan Allen arrives back as a kind of a. Mm-hmm. Um, like a slightly older woman and finds yeah that would that uh, would have been Hatchie right around where right? I was got yeah I think that's like probably we, fair all, how how is how is Hatchie how is Hatchie so far down on the IMDb like the dog <laughs> playing Hatchie doesn't appear to be there at all <laughs> doesn't appear to be there there are actually three, the three dogs playing dogs Hatchie there were three yeah oh okay and uh, apparently okay. one was good at sitting one was good at frolicking and one was good at emotional connection with the actors. Stop. Apparently, Gears, Gears... No, they, they did, because Gears <laughs> talked about this, where he was like... Where he had to audition the dogs. And apparently, again, it's because they're Akitas. A lot of what you hear about Akitas in the movie is taken directly from the Akita manual, where he was told, basically, Akitas don't like... Massages. Yeah, well, yep, properly, with the little book there. You just got to get in there. It's really tight. There's a lot of tension in there. But he was told that, basically... <laughs> Akitas don't like it when you try hard. They're not like other dogs. They don't like it when you make a fuss of them. So he said that he had to do like a proper week of being slowly introduced to them. On the first day, he was told to avoid eye contact with them. On the second day, he was allowed to make eye contact, but he couldn't touch them. And then like by the seventh day, he was just sitting talking with the trainers and one of the dogs came over and rested his head in his lap and he knew that he was in basically. Um, So yeah, so that's apparently how it works. Um... He described it as like being in a rock star's entourage, working with the three dogs on set. He also talked about how he convinced, um, basically, Gear was the first name attached to the project. He got the script. He apparently cried all the way through the script, um, as he described it. He was looking for a movie he could watch with his youngest son, uh, which is very sweet as well. But apparently he brought on Hailstrom, who'd worked with him on The Hoax, the movie he'd made shortly beforehand. And he convinced Hailstrom to shoot on digital. And the idea of shooting on digital was that you could just shoot for as long as possible 
and therefore get the reaction shot that you needed from the dog. That's... You didn't have to worry about running out of films. You could just shoot for 10 hours on a dog, basically. Okay. Uh, which sounds vaguely like a labor law violation mm. of a kind. Uh, but apparently that was, the, that was the, the logic. That's really strange. I wouldn't have expected that. It is interesting, though. One thing that did twig with me immediately was that he's, you know, Gear is on here as producer, not just executive producer. This is clearly something that he was, you know, heavily involved and really interested in. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's talked about how it's one of the movies that he is most proud of making. That's kind um, of and again, weird. He, like, <laughs> Stop it, Richard. <laughs> but, but I mean, this is, this is, I think this is the only Richard Gere movie in the 250. Like, of his entire filmography, this is the one that, you know, has been erected as a kind of a monument that will stand to him. And he's talked about how, you know, he goes on press tours and he still gets asked about it when he travels around the, the Far East. He goes to China, he goes to Japan. They want to know about Hatchie. People Hatchet. don't care about the 250. <laughs> That's a fair point. Like, yeah. Like, like, no one goes <laughs> They're going to ask yeah. him about, like, Officer <laughs> and the Gentleman mm. or... Um, um, you know, yeah, what is yeah. it? like a like a well known Richard Gere movie. Yeah. Well, no, no, he, he does say it's in China. The, I was gonna say he does say in China and Japan. The question comes ah, up. He gets right, asked quite right. frequently about them as well. Um, but yes, so and and interesting enough, I came close to welling up. I didn't well up. I didn't cry myself because I'm an inhuman monster. But it was really odd. Mm. It was the moment with the other dog that got me, which was very strange. The moment where really? Lucky the poodle shows up. I found that very weird. I have to say that's it. It's kind of this weird, like, again, it, it was because it was so weird. I think that's what got me. It was like, I know that the movie is trying to push my buttons with sad Joan Allen and like all these dog cam footage of him looking really sad and stuff. It's, it's like, like this special weird... special victims units, isn't it? <laughs> the, like when you're looking from the dog's perspective. Yeah, like CSI um, sort of I, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really terrifying. Like the, oh, the, the whole time. That was not no. cute <laughs> or fun. Um, no. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Did you cry? Nearly. I'm surprised I didn't. I think I was just a bit uh, sore. Um, and um, yeah, would it, like felt like I didn't need to cry. Um, I, I, I was, Is this I was, because was... you, you burnt your hand or because you're being made to watch Hachi? No, <laughs> I didn't sleep well. Um, but anyway, enough about me. Um, no more. Give us uh, more. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I I, I kind of came close. the The first time I nearly cried or felt kind of a welling up was, um, funny enough, another Joan Allen bit when when I don't think it was even like that great a part of the movie, but it's her saying kind of like, um, he's he's found a a family. Mm -hmm. Oh, somebody rings to um, acquire it. Though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the end of Act One, yes, the fade to black, the big sort of like, yeah, exactly. And then, and and then they go, to, um, they get like Hatchy Number Two. <laughs> Presumably, three of those, three of those were uh, that you mentioned were adult Hatchy. Oh yeah, yeah. There are also there are also several puppy Hatchy. I don't know how many puppy Hatchy there were though. I wonder if it's like That's one of those situations like, where you're working with I like it where you're working with kids and you have to have twins so you can swap them out in terms of labor yeah, yeah. laws. I don't know. Um, but uh, yes, so then I think having answered that question, then Ronan, the big question, what is Hatchy, a dog's tale, about for you? It's it's pure dog lover fodder. That's I mean that's it. This is this is why it had me weeping. This you know it's I think on pretty much every other level, like narratively, there's nothing going on here. Really. I mean you know you can imagine somebody pitching this script, going like it's a guy who died and the dog waited for him at the train station, and that's it. The film doesn't do anything else. Because 
in a certain respect, it doesn't need to. It's kind of really cloying, and Halstrom comes across a little bit of a higher tack with the like layered on, really intense emotive music. Uh, this, you know, he doesn't really do anything interesting in the way he shoots any of it because he doesn't need to because it's just doing the thing of getting gear and the dog and then being cute together and then you being devastated. That's that's all the movie is trying to do. And and from I think in that respect, it does it okay. I think it really loses pace once gear is gone. A certain extent, once he has his really overplayed dramatic scene, <laughs> which is just it's, that's, let's talk about it. that I scene. That scene is bad. incredible. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, it's, it's so played. Right. Up. This it's it's a squeaky ball, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was in tears of laughter. I was like, at this dramatic moment, it does not work. <laughs> and that between that and the fall in the seat, and then he's just sitting there talking to me, but and then he squeezed the ball again. Then he gets up and falls to the ground. It's hysterical. Yeah. yeah. The, and the fall he does when he gets up from the seat and falls to the ground yeah. is terrible act. It's yeah, terrible. It's, a, it, it's an appalling scene, but it's hysterically funny. <laughs> I mean, he, he pauses beforehand to you know mention the ephemerality of inverted commas music, and by which we mean music, we mean life. Isn't it strange how like a performance can only happen once, and that's what makes it special? Like, I don't know, if somebody were to just die. I think he actually literally says, like, the human heart can't be recorded, I think is he one does. of his lines during that sequence, right before he keels over and dies. What I actually admired, and again, this is one of the things where, you know, Ronan is entirely accurate, fair to describe it as cloying and cynical and incredibly calculated, but it's so well done at that yep. cloyness and that calculatedness and that manipulation. Things like Chekhov's fetching, like... Again, we talked about how simple right. the movie is in terms of I thought plotting. That was gonna, I thought that was going to come off much later. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can't really because he dies. Like, it's literally the latest <laughs> tricky, point in the movie. the final act. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is a kind of a problem that I found anyway that I wasn't taken aback at all um, when Richard Gere died. Mm. Uh, because he had just mm. had the best night of his life, <laughs> um, and um, and and this, the dog didn't want him to go. Yeah, um, because the dog knew, so and the dog also was... fetched as well. He completed <laughs> he like that was Richard Gere's character arc. Parker was like, "I want him to fetch." It's like that's my yeah. goal in life. When he's talking to his kind of associate professor at the university, he's like, "Why would you want the dog to fetch?" It's like, "That's all I want... associate professors ever talk about." <laughs> yeah, how much they want the Stop dog making to fetch, fetch happen, much... Richard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> but, it but was... yeah, it, that's it. Like the reason why he keels over is because he's completed his hero's journey. It really is. He has got Hatchy to the fetch. lowest stakes imaginable. <laughs> but it, I deny for this. Is it not a real problem that you don't like? Was it just me that like, in 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 spite of really liking Richard Gere in this, I didn't mind at all when he died. <laughs> this and like it was like it didn't affect me at all until I saw the dog waiting for him. It did. Aff- it didn't affect no! me except that I saw the rest of the film and I realized how much of a burst balloon yeah. it is without him. As a, as oh, a, yeah. it really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think when when gear is not there, it loses all sense of pace. It loses all rhythm. It just kind of doesn't work, and it pulls itself back in those last couple of minutes. I mean, mostly for me, just because it's a dog being sad. In this yeah, that will always do. Me Can you make just make? But, when we're talking about strange scenes as well. Can I mention one that it just? No, <laughs> it's this the post skunk skunk scene where uh, yes. 
John they're Hannah in the comes in to fight them in the bath looking like they're drenched in blood for some bizarre <laughs> reason. I have no idea what was going on in that scene. But to, to yeah, there's honest, no reason it? for it all to be brown. I thought there was a murder. <laughs> iodine, maybe. Yeah. Both to be honest, if, if, just like, everybody you know. keeps some anti-skunk stuff in their house and it's brown. To be honest, yeah. if you'd if you'd come home and found your husband who was browsing AkitaLover.com just a little earlier in the movie, sitting in the bath with the dog. It's fair. This, this mean... is my thinking exactly. <laughs> you want to yeah. get in? It's a little, it's... <laughs> it's like, I think I actually wrote down three some with a question mark on my notes. <laughs> that is why we love dogs. Yeah. Not that yeah. way, though. I don't know. We can... <laughs> oh, stop. What? No, me neither. <laughs> And again, again, uh, like Jay mentioned, the low stakes nature of it. Like Parker's life is complete when uh, the dog brings him the little squeaky toy. That's the moment at which he can die because he's accomplished everything that a professor of ballet could ever want to accomplish, apparently. But even things like you mentioned the skunk, the skunk, the skunk mm. is the most threatening sequence in the movie. That's the sequence where like, oh, no, Hatchy hasn't shown up. Yeah. Oh no, have you seen Hatchie? I'm going to go visit my wife who's restoring a theatre uh, in a subplot. Perhaps to remind us that some things are permanent because that's a theme of the movie. Um, but it's like, yeah, have you seen Hatchie? No, I haven't seen Hatchie. Oh my God. And it's like in most other movies that would be like, oh, did Hatchie get like hit by a car? Or did he eat something that disagreed with him? Or is he going to have to go to the vet? Or does he maybe have dog cancer or something? It's like, no, there's a skunk. That's it. And, the, the, and, the, yeah. and the, the breakout, the That's breakout the scene is get. bizarre. The Hadji jumps over him, he falls over, and then he gets blasted out yeah. by the skunk. It's very odd. It's it's bad slapstick. Really. It's yeah. really bad slapstick. Actually, really, this is really. a terrible <laughs> film, isn't it? It's, it's actually a terrible <laughs> film, isn't it? Though it is a little bit, yeah. yeah. It really is a little bit. It gets some things really spot on. Mostly the extremely emotive stuff about dogs, and that's yeah. enough. To sell a terrible film, but I think you're right. Like a good section of it is a terrible film. It is. I don't. Let's say. Let's say but, I did enjoy it or enjoy parts of it, but it's not good. But counterpoint is the fact that it's not good. What makes it kind of endearing? Like I would much rather watch this <laughs> than something like, say, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which tries to like do this, but also instill Kevin Costner talking over in a voiceover about how life is fleeting, about humans needing to take meaning and about worthiness and about how important it is to take stock and there value. Was some of that yeah, Richard Gere is doing exactly that. The difference is Richard Gere is really good at it. Um, you know, he's for, for all of the film that he's in, he's kind of not doing much. He's making really schlubby speeches that are a bit, oh, you're really overplaying the themes of the film here, Richard. But he's so good at it. The... The way that he like the way that he turns his head and squints his eyes, Richard Gere has this whole thing about him that he could sell almost anything. And I genuinely think this is a great performance because he has to shoulder a lot of shite. And he does it very well. I think he's really good at is saying Hatchy <laughs> Hatchy no, no, don't like, Hatch. Don't like, forget Hatch. Hatch as well. A lot yeah, of range here. But I think you're like, cutting him short. So so many of the actors in this movie. Like, most of their lines are like, Hachi. Hachi. It's only like, kind of like, a house. Is that stands Hachi? at a vendor cart for Where? 14 years. My, exactly. my personal favorite is, is Eric Avari, who is playing the vendor there. He gets the line, which reminds me of that bit from The Simpsons. Whenever Hachi's not on screen, the other characters should be asking, where's Hachi? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, that is what it's like, though. The uh, the best line in the film, and I 
I, I made sure to write down the best line in the film, which is just weird and stuck out like a sore thumb. And I'm not sure if it's good or not. It's, uh, where are we going? Guard dog to guard the hot dogs. <laughs> what? <laughs> what just happened? Do you, do you, it's bizarre. Do you like dogs? I accept cash. Um, also, isn't Michael the the, the <laughs> prospective son of the dumbest well, that, in the movie? That's oh, the thing yeah. is that like the movie keeps setting up these but, ideas of like possible villains, and it does it with Jason Alexander as Carl, him. who we'll talk about in a moment. But yeah, Jason, but Michael, Jason Alex Killshelter. There's always this thing kind of um, er, early on in the movie. That's 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 what the kind of stakes are. Is that, that like mm-hmm. he's obliged to take this dog home because otherwise he'd be butchered um, <laughs> by Jason Alexander. Or, or, or... <laughs> but uh, but ba- back to Michael there because you do have that sequence where he's trying to get Hatchy to fetch, and the movie seems to be like, "Look at Michael, he's an asshole trying to expect a dog he's to fetch." He's gonna kick the dog. That's it. It really does look like you're building to a sequence <laughs> where, like, Richard Gere is, like, out of the house and Michael kicks the dog or something. Or, like, locks him in a room or something. It, it really feels like the movie's gearing towards Michael's gonna be revealed as an asshole. Or Richard no, gearing Michael's... towards it. Hey. Hey! But it, it tends to have a much more simplistic view of the world than all that. Like, literally, the scene you have just before that is Richard Gere barbecuing meat as he talks <laughs> to that man about marrying his daughter. It's very, it's very, very simple in that way. There, you know, there aren't much degrees of villainy. You get the sense that maybe he might be a bit of a dick, but that that's dispelled really quickly. The biggest villain you have in the film potentially before that is his wife, who isn't really keen about the dog, and that's it. And she comes around. And that's the extent of evil in this film's worldview. I I love, by the way, that when Parker shows up with the dog. Like, and again, Parker's portrayed as this kind of weird, like, man-child, but not like a Judd Apatow man-child, like an actual pleasant man-child, where it's like he just has no restraint or judgment whatsoever. He always wanted a dog, so he might as well get one. But there's a moment where his wife says, we had an agreement, or did you forget? As if, like, how many times has Parker (laughs) done this? Like, it feels like if you have to have an agreement, if you have to have a ground rule about this particular sort of thing, maybe there's a more serious problem at play. That that does happen in the real world. I I did, as a child, bring home stray dogs many, many times and have similar conversations with my mother instead of my wife. Who is is Luke? They keep on saying, um, talking about Luke. That was presumably like a, a, a child that they had or something. Um... Is that ever fleshed out? It's a sh- it, like the difficulty of this movie is where, when you establish something that matters to a character, the dog can't then ask you about it. Like you know, the, the, it, all these interactions with like people and dogs. Although guys, do you do you often find when speaking to dogs that you tell them all your problems? Uh, I have done. <laughs> Yeah, not all of them. There was very little of that in this movie. Yeah, well, that's because we... nobody has any problems. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Also, yeah. can we in in this kind of COVID-related world, Richard Gere and uh, Hatchy sharing a popcorn tub is uh, it's not great, is it? No, it's not. There's a lot of there's a lot of very bad hygiene. <laughs> um, in, in in yeah, yeah yeah yeah, like the the um those hot dogs um. They're not great. Yeah, they're no. Jason no, Alexander shakes hands at one point. There, there's a lot to, <laughs> to raise an eyebrow. He's like petting a dog and crying, 
and <laughs> shaking people's <laughs> hands and handling money and hot dogs and like feeding a hot dog into 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 a dog's mouth and stuff. Yeah. But hey, the, the dog is a very expensive dog, so I'm sure it's perfectly hygienic. I'm sure um, it's fine. That is true. <laughs> Do you want to talk very briefly about Carl, the Jason Alexander character? Because I continuously, I had this thing throughout the film where I couldn't decide if Carl was a villain or if it was just he was played by Jason Alexander. Because there's like a weird thing that runs throughout yeah. where like towards the end, he seems to be embezzling the dog's snack money. But I'm not sure if that's just me reading it into the scenario because it's Jason Alexander. No, he says it though. He says like he's, he's the executor of the estate. <laughs> Post the news story. Yeah. There's a little sense of him trying to exploit the situation, and definitely at the sort of initial scene he's involved in, where Richard Gere is like, "I got to leave the dog here." And he's like, "Oh, I don't want anything to do with the dog." Like in in this film, somebody who wants nothing to do with a dog is a villain by default. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I think like the thing is that like. Um, Hachi can't like go to a lawyer or police or anything. Hachi wants to be in the will. Finds out what Jason Alexander is up to. (laughs) It's like the Richie Rich movie, basically, is what we're suggesting here. I do love that. Yeah, again, this is the low stakes villainy of the movie. Is like that Jason Alexander might steal some kids' lunch money from across the country. Basically, is what we're dealing with here. That's the level of villainy at which we're operating. And he does, to be fair, he does also, I think, steal credit when the reporter's coming out. It's like, yep, I found Hachi. I was the one who found Hachi. My idea. Can we make it the Um, thing as well? The way the 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 wraparound story of the um yes the, the uh, grandson the, the grandson who couldn't possibly know 80 percent of it either. not necessary in any way but i mean here's a question for you guys is hatchy a greater american hero than christopher columbus i think oh that kid at the start right well that's that's really interesting that the film opens yeah, immediately columbus. with the whole christopher columbus thing, <laughs> like, Ooh, watching this week especially <laughs> well to be fair there yes some, it, it there's some play terrible out. child acting I hope they're grown up now and ashamed yeah. of themselves. Um, <laughs> wow. I think that's fair. I've no, I've no truck with that. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. Um, but yeah, this is the... And there is there is the slightest bit, I think, of the... Um, the, the, the what, like, uh, what, there's one scene of it where he's getting a kendo lesson or something. That, yes. It's <laughs> a little bit orientalist. Oh, it is. Yes. I mean, you get the feeling that he brought Hachi to the one guy who may be Asian and he just says, here, so read this, yeah. will you? Because yeah. I, you're the only guy in the town yeah. that I know Absolutely. that looks oriental mm-hmm. vaguely. Yeah, yeah. And your wisdom um, and you're old. You know. <laughs> that's Kerry uh, Harioki Tagawa is the actor yeah. there as well. And you, you think he's popping the yellow up yellow back Ken Watanabe, as they call him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, because yeah, he talked about how uh, apparently he had to fight for the role, which is quite striking as well, because it was like, apparently at the time they were. Yeah, yeah, he was, was like. Was that hey. what that was? Him, Brad Pitt <laughs> yeah, that... was beaten out with the last two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just put the footage in the movie. Um, it's like the sequence where he has to do this kind of Aikido training in order to earn. Oh, the was role. it Aikido? You have to defeat Richard Gere in battle. Oh, no, I don't think it was Aikido. Apologies. Um, but uh, no, he's talked about how like he was typecast at villains. So he actually had to like fight really hard to get this role as the kindly old man who happens to be there to translate and provide backstory and exposition because apparently everybody from Japan is an expert on Akitas because everybody in the world is an expert in dogs, right? In this world, yes. Um, fun fact, Jason, by the way. <laughs> yes. J- yeah. Jason Alexander was angling for that part. <laughs> he, 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 he. There is an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he is appearing as himself and complaining about being typecast and that everybody thinks he's George. Um, so, yeah, the, the, 
it's kind of it's like he, he I suppose he's not unlike George in this. Um, to be fair, George probably wouldn't so have held the train for thirty seconds, which I adore. By the way, I love that it's like we got an emergency on the platform. Yeah, a man's dog has arrived. Very cute. Okay, can hold the that train. Is fair. Uh, Do you know what film it reminded me of? And I kept referring back to it in my head today, as as if <laughs> the way time progresses and everything. It actually reminded me of a ghost story. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> except it's better the, the than a Mara, ghost story. <laughs> the Rooney Mara Casey Affleck movie. Yes. Um, Hatchie wow, is essentially okay. Ben Affleck in the in the blank in the kind of okay, white sheet yeah. hanging about the place <laughs> for for years. Uh, A constant reminder of this kind of, of, of this path. thing of life. Um, actually, very quickly then, do we want to talk in terms of the weird kind of themes of the movie? Because you mentioned that framing story in the vice with the grandkid and the idea that like Richard Gere has this big, important, you know, discussion about how life is fleeting and everything's ephemeral. The moment of creation itself is fleeting. Life cannot be captured is an actual quote from the moment right before he keels over and dies. Um, but you have this kind of idea of kind of the, the faith and devotion that the dog has just sitting there and waiting for him. Again, the Greyfriars Bobby sort of story. You know, they taught me about the meaning of loyalty and why you should never forget anyone that you loved. And I kind of wonder, and again, maybe this is me thinking too hard about the adorable dog movie, but... I was trying to do this too. I did this, Darren. (laughs) I was thinking kind of like, oh, is that an important... No, but it it kind of quickly passed. Like, I was (laughs) like, uh, yeah, how... Like... Is it is this a good kind of like a simple telling of like an important moral? And I guess it's not because I feel like it's kind of yeah. Does the it's like sort what, of lightly told enough that that you can like misinterpret it in all sorts of ways? Yeah, because it's like is the movie celebrating Hatchie? Is it sad for Hatchie? Does it think that Hatchie's missing out on life? Does it think that this is some sort of ideal? Is this like a really a dog horror story? Is this like a story about obsession and stalking and kind of a no. refusal to let go? No, it's not. Is this... It's just a, it's no. a, it's no, no, a no. sappy <laughs> film about a dog. It's not really about anything. I think it's as low stakes and simple a story as you can get. I think it's a I fable about think... love and whatever. But... Going back to the the thrust of it, as you said before, with, uh, with Richard Gere being quite proud of it and everything. I think he read this script. Maybe he's a dog lover. I don't know. I don't know about Richard Gere. Uh, you know, very intimately. Oh, he does. But he does have dogs. He there you he go. Doesn't use, yeah, Rich- he doesn't. He doesn't use the word pet because oh. he feels like it imposes a hierarchy. Okay, yeah. But there does, you go. Um, Richard Gere read this script <laughs> and was just like, "This gets the essence of what I feel about the relationship between humans and dogs." And <laughs> he uses the word husband um, for for his dog <laughs> while he's in uh, the no, bath. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love, by, I love, by the way, that like his big romantic sort of evening, the night before he keels over and dies, as Andrew described, the best night of his life is to recreate that bathtub scene with Hatchie, but with his wife. There's something a little bit kind of like that you don't want to unpack there, I think. Yeah. Something behind the door. His relationship with Hatchie is a testing yeah. ground. It's like, and maybe could, could, you, could you bark a little bit? What? No, never mind. Nothing didn't say anything. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. Sorry. All right, then. It's a deep film. It, it is deep and profound and unsettling in a number of ways. Um, what I will say then, just in terms of, of kind of the movie and its legacy, because, again, I think it is the uh, kind of forerunner of the kind of modern deluge of dog-centric cinema that we've seen. Do we think that there is a reason 
for that? Do we think there's a reason why it's popular? Do we think that there's something that explains why these movies are particularly popular now? Why Hollywood seems to be churning them out and why it's kind of pushed in that particular direction? Like, what is it about this movie that distinguishes it from something like, say, Homeward Bound or Airbud as a template for adorable kind of movies? Because I think that uh, somebody, I think it was Cosmopolitan, rightly pointed out the really weird thing about modern dog movies is that like in the olden days it was a story about a dog and a boy or a girl it was a story about a kid and their relationship to a dog now it's stories about you know middle-aged men and their relationships to dogs is there do we think that there's a reason why this has happened do we think that this trend is rooted in anything or is it just that this happened to be a big hit well i think one thing that stands out to me in terms of the the evolution of the the good boy movie i can't believe that's the sentence i'm saying um, the more recent films over the last couple of years, uh, the, the real difference they have to this one is that they've anthropomorphized the dog much more. So actually here you get his POV, which is a step in that direction. But the, the movies over the last couple of years, they literally have a voiceover. Um, the dog might not be directly communicating with the, the human characters, but you're getting his thoughts constantly. And I, I wonder to an extent, you know, I, I don't want to give Hatchie too much credit for the way that it spawned all this, but I think we all agree that the last act of it is a bit weak because you've you've lost Richard Gere. It's just the dog and you don't get any sort of reflection. You know, it's the dog being cute on camera. But then you get the voiceover in the, the more recent films as a kind of connection to keep you going through the dog's thoughts, as it were. So they've almost the, la- the ones I've seen in the last couple of years anyway. And I think you've seen more than I have there. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of the genre, but you're more comprehensive than I am. Um, they they have really leaned into the dog's perspective in increasingly cloying ways. And I, I, I can see how that originates from this. Yeah. And again, I think one of the things that's been pointed out, I think the Los Angeles Times actually had an article on this and they pointed out that one of the interesting things about what you mentioned there, the anthropomorphization of the dogs, is that in the older movies, so in movies like Look Who's Talking or in movies like, for example, um, you know, Homeward Bound, the dogs could talk, but they would frequently talk to each other. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting kind of pushes in modern kind of good boy canon uh, is the question of kind of dogs can talk. You know, they're voiced by people like Kevin Costner and like Josh Gad, but they can't talk to other dogs. They can just talk to the audience. Mm-hmm. And is that, you know, if we're being cynical, is that just something that makes it seem more prestigious and worthy in inverted commas, makes it seem like something you can put a prestige label on and sell as much to adults as the kids? Or is it perhaps, and again, this is where I feel like I'm reaching, because I never reach on things like this, but is it perhaps a profound statement on a sense of existential kind of disconnect? Because again, one of the things that's... I think, I think, I think millennials just uh, like all these kind of dog movies, because they're Millennials like eating ass, and um, dogs like. Oh to, wow! That, uh, that, that, okay, that was each other's butts. <laughs> that came that out did not them. go in the direction I did not expect it to go. Um, that's so. That's what it is. I do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that is certainly right. a theory. That's the definitive word on it. Join us yeah, next week. Kind of... <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I do think actually there probably is something in there in terms of like millennials and in terms of the idea that you know people are 
you know, not necessarily falling in traditional patterns in terms of owning houses and establishing conventional nuclear families. So movies that would traditionally be about that or maybe not about that, whether by choice or by design or because of the way that, you know, people have kind of moved away from those traditional models. So the idea is that a dog is a nice kind of universally kind of friendly aspirational idea and that everybody perhaps remembers having a dog as a child. And you can remember, imagine having a dog as an adult without having to worry about things that, you know, are a problem for millennials or difficult for millennials or not something millennials aren't interested in. So things like owning a house, for example, or things like starting a family, which is something that's happening much later. Um, and it's particularly notable in, let's say, China, for example, I think that there is, uh, birth rates are actually falling and pet ownership is rising significantly. And I wonder if maybe there is some sort of connection there, some sort of correlation that kind of might be drawn. I think, yeah, I think like, all of like, the context like there said, is true. Yeah. Those, those are all, you know, things that things exist that in the world and in, and in the audience. But I, I do not see a film like this as something that millennials are watching. I am possibly the one exclusion in millennials <laughs> who is watching this film. That's possibly fair. I mean, um, I don't think I, was... I might have ever watched it had I not done it for this. Like, yeah. I, I, I barely know. I, not I, been I, I barely knew it to. existed beforehand, and I unlikely will have forgotten it six months from now. I'm not surprised that people like this. I'm surprised that people like this and vote on the IMDb 250. Yeah, because this is the question. Because again, like in terms of, because I think Andrew kind of broached this back before the spoiler zone. The question of who exactly this is for, like, what is the target market for this? Is this people who watch the whole market? It's not a big mystery. Like, like I know it's not. I know it's not me. I can, I, I, like, I can imagine the 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 kind of people it's for. I wonder how much of it is Um, the fact that it's it's as we've said before, it's such a TV movie, and even my my exposure to it, as I said, was on TV. So is it the kind of thing that TV channels across the world in various territories are booking and people are coming across? And, you know, a certain proportion of those are people who go on IMDb and maybe don't necessarily rate things very often. Give it a 10 because it's made them cry. Yeah. Is is that potentially a part of it? I think there is a cry ratio in it. Certainly if people are will respond to it in that way. It made me cry. It can't be bad. Yeah, Yeah, it can yeah, when you've had a physical reaction to something, you you tend to go along. And if you're the kind of person who votes on IMDb, you just think, well, that that left me in tatters. That is a perfect movie right there. Um, <laughs> perfect movie. I probably would have given it. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I might I might have had better. I I might have had more good things to say about it if it actually had made me cry. Same. Um, yeah. Um, mm. Because you have to give, you kind of have to give a movie props when it does that. <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter how hard you try if you actually accomplish it. That's fair point. It was all not in vain. None of it was in vain. Um, I do think actually, just um, on that actually, and it's kind of interesting that this is a recurring trope in these kinds of films. But the weird emphasis on illness and sudden death, and while I wonder if that's a sense of melodrama, so things like here, the aneurysm going on, but like, I think Ronan, you were at, was it a dog's journey with me where the dog can literally smell cancer Mm. at one point? Um, Like that's literally a subplot in is that the dog can smell cancer, but the art of racing in the rain also has a brain cancer subplot involving Amanda Seyfried as well. And I'm wondering, and again, this is the thing where you have, you talk about the anthropomorphization of the dog and the use of the dog reaction shots. I think that, um, the AV Club and Ignati, and I apologize for this mispronunciation, Ignati Vicenti, is that how you pronounce it? Um, the film critic at the AV Club wrote this article about like dog reaction shots. And his idea was that, you know, a dog, unlike a cat, is incredibly mm-hmm. emotive. So you can see a dog and you know how to feel in response to it. And I'm wondering, 
if this emphasis on the dog's perspective and the dog's view of the world, is this something that kind of speaks to a desire for a simpler and more obvious world? Is it a world that makes more sense than the world in which we live? And particularly, like, in contrast to the melodramatic plot elements of, like, sudden death and kind of, like, the arbitrary, oh, okay, fine, maybe I'm reaching, I apologize. <laughs> it, I've had um, a lot of time to think about this. I've been thinking about this for four years. I've been trying to make sense <laughs> of this for four years. <laughs> um, but is, is that is that too much? Is that too much of a reach? Do we think that there is, like, is the audience for this, like, people who long for a world that makes sense through the eyes of a dog, that is so simple that it can be understood through the folksy wisdom of Kevin Costner as voiceover or like through the kind of, I, I think, I think you are, you're, you're onto something there because uh, what dog lovers commonly love about dogs is the sense of understanding. You know, you'll hear a lot of dog lovers talk about how their dog, even, even exactly what Richard Gere said about, you know, three, three weeks in or whatever that the dog came and lay his head on his lap. Dogs tend to to interact with humans in that way, and these films capture that absolutely the the kind of human canine bond. Um, and it is it's quite a universal thing, you know. They're I think I think cats are actually more a more widely held pet than dogs worldwide, but dogs have a a very clear emotive sensibility, and that taps into very much uh, what film does. You know, the way dogs relate to us or the same way films try to relate to us. Mm. All the time. Um, and very quickly, because the sense we're kind of reaching the end. Do you want to know what the next project for writer Robert, uh, sorry, Stephen Lindsay, who wrote the script for this was? Do you want to know what his next project was after this? Oh, God. It did not get, it did not actually enter production, but he worked on an adaptation of David Doza's best-selling book, Making the Rounds with Oscar, The Extraordinary Gift of an Ordinary Cat, about a cat who could predict deaths of terminally ill patients in a nursing center in Providence. That's interesting. Did I hear something the other day about, like, COVID dogs that could um, detect COVID? They have very good poison. <laughs> Get your COVID news from here. Um, but I do love that everything is filtered. Tune next week yeah, I love for more every- COVID. Yeah. Everything is filtered through. It is notable that, yes, as, as, as kind of Ronan pointed out, cats are a more commonly owned pet, but they are less cinematically featured. Mm. I mean, I think like in terms of cats, I think of um, Inside the Wind Davis. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably yeah. the most recent cat movie. A street cat named Bob, maybe? There's a, a very, very, very good Turkish documentary called Kedi, K-E-D-I. Oh, yeah. That is, uh, if, if you're a cat lover, as I am as well, um, absolutely watch that. That is the best cat movie I've ever seen. Did... Um... Did Audrey Hepburn uh-huh. have a cat in Breakfast in Tiffany's? Or am I imagining that? Well, Blofeld also had a cat in James Bond, but I don't consider yeah, that yeah. a cat movie, <laughs> um, to be fair. Well, that was... Uh, it, 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 it was quite a cat, though. It was a very it, it, memorable cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, then. I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Anything we haven't discussed already? Any scenes, um, any lines, any characters? I, not for anything, anything, just because you brought up um, dog reaction <laughs> shots. Tony Scott is a master of the dog reaction <laughs> shot. And Crimson Tide and Enemy of the State particularly are very good. So if you're ever looking for a great dog reaction shot, that's your man. And again, the use of the dog to provide moral focus and clarity. Because the, uh, they're so pure. Yeah, that's it exactly. Again, virtuoso filmmaking. Again, really understanding this. Um, it is worth noting, by the way, actually, because I know that we've talked about Airbud quite a lot on this podcast and other podcasts. Uh, Andrew, you might be interested to know that the success of Hatchery a Dog's Tale ensured a second career for director Charles Martin Smith, the director responsible for Airbud. He would go on to direct Dolphin Tale and Dolphin Tale 2 and also A Dog's Way Home. 
Uh, meanwhile, Lassie Hailstrom, uh, when he was directing A Dog's Purpose, unfortunately got caught up, and I wish I were making this up, got caught up in a scandal involving leaked behind-the-scenes footage um, f- from TMZ, involving a scandal with German shepherds uh, playing and frolicking in the water. Um, apparently that was a scandal that haunted the film throughout its distribution and release cycle. Apparently it's why he didn't direct the sequel. Ah. Yeah. Also, Charles Martin the... Smith is in The Untouchables as well. Just, <laughs> just the guy with the glasses in The Untouchables. Ah, okay. The guy looks like Bob Balbadine. Uh, looks like who? Bob Balbadine? Who? Am I remembering correctly? Bob Balaban? Okay, um... never mind. Bob Balaban, there we go. Yeah, with the glasses, yes. The guy with the glasses. He's one of the main guys that's killed in the Untouchables. That's not ah. a spoiler from 33 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right, then. Um, I think that about wraps it up, then. Unless there's anything else anybody wants to talk about. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. So something you're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie we just watched. Something completely unrelated. Just something that is bringing you joy or pleasure in these most turbulent of times. So to give Jay and Ronan a chance to think about it, Andrew, what would you recommend for listeners? Uh, I mentioned Curb Your Enthusiasm a little earlier. I've, um, I've just gotten a subscription to Now TV. Um... And I'm going to be watching that with friends. Um, so um, yeah, uh, um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm enjoying at, at, at the moment. I'm laughing a lot. Um, also, Dogs Trust. Um, uh, they um, they're here in um, uh, in Ireland and elsewhere. Um, they do a lot of good work in terms of um, Irish people treat their dogs very badly. Yeah. Um, we're not very good at it. Yeah, we're like a, a a disgrace. Um, and yeah, they 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 do great work, and they're 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 quite careful. They um no um no dog is um is is killed in their shelters, and they're quite careful about finding owners as well. They do they do take their time. You know, getting the, the the right dog for the right person. Um, so yeah, if people um, people are interested, if uh, um, I don't know about um, obviously they're they're I don't know how the lockdown is affecting it, but they they have an actual um, place out in kind of Finglas, um, kind of the Ashburn Road. Um, I don't know if you can visit these times or not, but um, if 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 you've started working from home and maybe and maybe you now can have a dog um uh, maybe um, consider that um, uh, they do great stuff yeah that's it and jay what would you recommend for listeners um there's actually a, an interesting tv thing i've been watching um called dark side of the ring which is um to it's a kind of Viceland making tv shows um about it's basically a week uh episodes on various different wrestlers of the last like 50 years at a start because you know if you know anything about wrestling there's a lot of kind of tragic stories in it a lot of early deaths and murders and all sorts of stuff it takes one particular story per week and it's about 40 minutes in each one and it's really really excellent um well worth watching i mean just a couple of seasons of it about 16 17 episodes and well worth watching particularly for the nostalgic kind of uh thing i would have watched wrestling when i was younger so it's quite nostalgic in that regard all right, so we're throwing down with that. And then, uh, Ronan. Indeed. I've got uh, two things very quickly. On the context of dog movies, um, the best dog movie I have ever seen 
I saw last year at the IFI as part of the Doc Festival. I think availability is possibly a little difficult. It's a Chilean film called Los Reyes. That's L-O-S space or E-Y-E-S. Uh, and it's a uh, a documentary about two dogs who live in a skate park in, in Chile. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's about 70 minutes long, which is a recipe for a perfect film. If you can get it in any way, do. It's really, really great um, on the subject of uh, of dog movies. And then uh, a book I picked up this morning. So in the context of the Black Lives Matter the movement that we've got going on at the moment, I picked up a, a novel from John A. Williams called Sons of Darkness, Sons of Light. Um, tore through about 50 pages of it just this morning. Uh, and I think it's always good to remind yourself that movements like these didn't just crop up in the last while. This book is from 1969 and is all about somebody reflecting on the shooting of a black youth by a white police officer. You know, these are these are discussions that have been going on for the longest time. So digging into the history of literature and film, indeed, on these things is great. Cool. Um, and on a segue from that, actually, I would recommend, and again, this is probably going to date the podcast, but Spike Lee's new one, The Five Bloods, which is available on Netflix at the moment, uh, is well worth seeking out, and I hardly recommend as well. Um, and on the subject of uh, the good boy canon, um, I'm trying to think, actually, if you'd like this, maybe give uh, the Harrison Ford CGI dog movie Call of the Wild a go. It's uh, perhaps a bit chirpier and friendlier than the Jack London source material. Less of, less convinced with the savagery of nature and more about the adorable jokes about giant CGI dogs that change size from shot to shot. But it does have Harrison Ford being gravelly in the Alaskan wilderness. And I feel like if you liked Richard Gere being with, you know, holding a, an adorable pup with a kind of a sweater vest, then maybe Harrison Ford only being able to get along with a CGI dog in Alaska might also kind of scratch that particular itch. And then finally, uh, because it's available on Netflix in the States for the first time, uh, and also because it's a very bad boy, uh, Hannibal, um, Brian Fuller's Hannibal is available now to watch. Uh, I hardly recommend it. It's one of my favorite shows of the past decade. You, All right. Did you say it's very bad? <laughs> no, I said he's a very bad boy. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm being a pup. <laughs> And Dar- Darren, remind me of the name of the uh, the Dennis Quaid dog film because that truly is the uh, oh, the peak of this whole genre. A dog's purpose and a dog's journey. Now, to be fair, you and I only saw the second one. We didn't see the. first I have one. not seen the first to this day, but I feel I don't need to. We were able to follow second, along with it. The second was like a Terrence Malick dog film. Put it that way. It's a- it's amazing. Like, again, and Dennis Quaid doing old man acting. Like, Dennis Quaid had a really, really good 2019 by Dennis Quaid's <laughs> standards. Um, he did, like, he starred in, what was it, The Reverse Get Out, which is a terrible movie, but he was just doing everything in it. Like, there was, like, you... The Reverse Get Out? Have you not... Yeah, this is... Uh, it's The Intruder is what it's called. It's about a, a man whose house is basically repossessed and bought by an African-American couple, and Dennis Quaid is not happy about it. But not in an explicitly racist sort of way, because that would make you uncomfortable. But also kind of in an explicitly racist sort of way. It's a very strange movie. It feels like that was probably offered to Clint Eastwood yes. first. Yes, it does. Um, to be fair, again, Dennis Quaid does good grumpy old man acting in A Dog's Journey. Um, how high is his waistline in the final act of the film? It's quite, <laughs> it's quite impressive. There... <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Very few actors can convincingly deliver the line, there's a lot you don't know about that dog. Um, And sure, maybe Dennis Quaid can't, but he (laughs) tries. And that's what matters, I think. Um, All right, then. If people are looking for a bit more Jay, a bit more Ronan in their lives, where can they find you guys online? So, Jay. Uh, Jay Coyle on Twitter, doing nothing else, really. That's it. And Ronan. Catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd, at Baron Ronan. 
Perfect. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we actually have the wonderful Nissa Hardyman, the director of Sea Fever. Um, yes, she's going to be joining us for a conversation about the Orson Welles movie, The Third Man. Fabulous. Which is actually arguably one of those movies that involves cats, because there is a memorable sequence involving a cat in it. So I guess, you know, kind of a nice segue from one to the other. But Nissa will be joining us for that conversation. Uh, we're very much looking forward to it. Excellent. Uh, join us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Thanks, guys. guys. Bye-bye.